We're going to continue our short series on back to church question mark uh, because it is a question mark for many, many people in North America and around the world. Um, but uh, I want to take us <clears throat> today to another little piece of Paul's writings uh, to carry on our discussion. So last week we talked about the whole matter of leadership and there is a frank admission in the church in North America um, of failure in leadership over the last decade. And uh, as we go back to church, there's sort of a confluence of, of a few things. One is the pandemic and the safety of the matter and whether we're more comfortable at home or in church. But that's also happening at the same time as a disenchantment or a real disheartening over the leadership in the church in North America. So it, it's honestly making a lot of us ask pertinent questions. And the pertinent question is the one that we're asking with that question mark. So the question mark is very deliberate about going back to church. I, I want to talk today about introductions. So that'll, that'll be the hook that I'd like to hang our thoughts on. And you, you might have been in some venue, some hall, or some classroom where someone is introducing someone else, going to introduce the speaker. And very often, well, some, some different things happen. Either the person is so flowery who is doing the introduction that you want them to shut up so the speaker can get up and deliver what he or she came with. Um, the other is that there's not enough said, so you sort of say, well, okay, but who is this guy or who is this woman who is here to talk to us? Sometimes someone will use this very familiar introduction and say, so-and-so needs no introduction. And when that's the right way to introduce a speaker, the audience will be nodding their head and saying, we know exactly who this is because that's why we came today. He does not need, she does not need any introduction. What I'd like to ask you this morning is this. Could we say the same about God? God needs no introduction. I want to propose to you that the answer is no, we could not say that. We couldn't say it with confidence, with clarity, and the various things that are sort of swirling around are, are chipping away at what we thought were confident answers to that question. Um, is this someone who needs no introduction? So I, I want to come at this from three directions today. The first is God's introduction to us. The second is our introduction to God. And the third is God's introduction through us. And that's what sort of brings us all the way around to, well, as we go back to church, do we have to unlearn some things about God so that if we are being used by God to introduce himself to our friends, our family, our society, do we really know who we're introducing? And are we introducing him properly? Uh, and what should we leave behind and what should we move forward? So to go to an, an old quote, Anselm of Canterbury said, God is, so if we try to begin to get our heads around, okay, my job is to introduce God. Um, and I want to say he needs no introduction, but 
if, if he does, how do, how do I begin to frame an introduction about God? And Anselm gave what has been used ever since as a strong apo- apologetic for the existence of God or the nature of God um, or the introduction of God. He says, God is that the greater than which cannot be conceived. So it, it's trying to stretch our head around, well, <clears throat> what, what, what is the very idea of God and what is the construct of God? What, what do we bring to the table when it comes to questions about theism, atheism, polytheism, all the various other theisms? And Elm says, starts us out by saying, well, how about this? God is that the greater than which cannot be conceived. If that stretched your head a little bit, this will, will go farther. So um, we're going to, to just look at a, a verse in Ephesians 2, and it says this. So I'm, I'm coming to this notion of introduction. Here's what the Amplified Bible says. And the Amplified Bible, if you want to have a Bible that's fun to read, because it'll give you every which way to turn a phrase, every which way to color a word. So in in the Amplified Bible, all those brackets and square brackets are that sort of thing. But here's what it says. For it is through him that we both, whether far off or near, now have an introduction access by the one Holy Spirit to the Father so that we are able to approach him. So I quoted that from the Amplified because that's the only version that uses the word introduction. It is usually the word access or approach or something like that, but it is very properly translated introduction. And so that will push us forward to the whole our being introduced to God, but we still need to sort of back up to the first one and say, who is the God that is to be introduced to whom we would have any interest in being interested to, and then how, how will that shape itself into uh, how we are used to be the introducers of God? Did anybody follow what I just said in the, two, the last two minutes? You heard the words. It's like our son Colin used to always look at me and say, Dad, I, I understand the words you said, that you said those words. I do not know what they mean. So if that's the way that you reflect on that, that's just fine. Who is God, and does he need an introduction? So I've been looking at at a series of of, um, talks and and books by a guy called Pete Rollins. I first of all love him because he's from Belfast, and so you have to do a whole lot of wrong things before I will not like you if you're from Belfast. His accent alone is is worth chasing. He is delightful. Um, There's one little talk he gives. And he, he starts it out by saying, he's, he's um, I forget where it is, he says, people ask me, do you deny the resurrection? And I say, yes, everybody I know knows that I deny the resurrection. And you're sort of taken aback. He says, I deny the resurrection every time I support injustice. I deny the resurrection every time I walk past the poor. And... So there's the accent, and, and I can get it pretty well because it's my accent too, right? If I ever talked like I really am, that's the way I would talk. So here, here's what Rollins says. So, you know, it's, it's complicated and complicated more by the accent. He says this. The argument is made that naming God is never really naming God, 
but only naming our understanding of God. To take our ideas out of the divine, or our ideas of the divine, and hold them as if they correspond to the reality of God, is thus to construct a conceptual idol built from the materials of our mind. So there you go. That, that could take a long time to, to parse and, and understand. But this whole idea of answering the question, well, who is God? What is God? Um, and in the matter of introduction, um, who do we need to be introduced to that we now understand to be God? And how are we going to introduce others to that being that we understand to be God? I think we all would have come in this morning presuming that we could answer the question, who is God, what is God like, um, in some sort of a fashion, or, or else we're not traveling on the religious path, right? Um, but the, that very first question is, is, is profound um, when we try to figure out all of the implications of those confluences that I talked about, about um, the failure of the church, the, um, if we were to go to philosophy, the whole advent of postmodernism and deconstruction and the fact that academics and intellectuals say you can't even think the way you used to think theologically and philosophically and all of that. So do we know who it is? Because if we don't know who it is or don't have some grasp or some way in which we are moving towards knowledge, whatever that would mean, then we, we don't know how to go to the second and third step. To whom do we need to be introduced and why? And then how are we going to be the ones through whom God is introduced? Many years ago, I was part of um, a, a committee sort of thing that met in Nairobi, Kenya. And it was a group that um, had a mission school in, in uh, just upstate in Kenya. So at Audrey Lawrence with AIM. So it, they were Africa Inland Mission um, head, head meetings. And we were told uh, before we went to a place called the Mayfield Guest Home in Nairobi that we were going on a special visit. So when some of us asked, well, who are we going to visit, the, the person that was our host said, I can't tell you who you're going to visit, um, but I, I'm sure you're going to enjoy what, what you're going to experience. It, it turned out that the person that we were going to visit was the president of the, company, of the, of the country um, because he had been educated in Rift Valley Academy, which was the school um, in Rift Valley that AIM ran. Because of security, it could not be disclosed that that was where we were going because we might threaten his life, he, guards or rebels or whatever might threaten our lives. But imagine the intrigue of getting on a minibus and being driven in Nairobi to this phenomenal palace. I mean, just a spectacular palace. And when we went into the palace, the incredible delight of meeting the president of the country. Um, it, it was just one of those things that when the day was over, you look back and think, wow, was I really there? Did he really shake my hand? Did he really say words to us? But the whole matter of who this person is made all the difference, right? Um, if it was just 
you know, some interesting character, maybe a hospital administrator because we had hospitals, or maybe a school principal. They would have been quite interesting. But the fact that this was the president of the country made this kind of an astonishing event. So who is the person that we are naming God? And have we gone off track at all in the recent history of the church, in the West particularly? And as we ask the question about coming back to church, um, what should we be learning or relearning? So let me just guide you through some... And these are critical observations because the time has come, I think, to stop you know, just being nice about the church's failure. And it's time to say, well, what have we been doing wrong? And are we going to keep doing those things wrong or are we, we going to fix them? So how have we named God to uh, follow Rollins's kind of paradigm? Haven't we made God someone who is a cheerleader for celebrities? So whether, whether you're in sports or the pastorate, apparently God is someone who elevates champions. So, so do you disagree with me, or are you going, oh, my goodness? What has happened in the church is that, as I said last week, we have actually identified celebrity pastors. And when we go back to the New Testament and say, I wonder how many New Testament leaders were, would be called celebrity leaders. And you'd say, well, most of them died <laughs> because they were being leaders, so that's not going to qualify. But in, in the West, particularly in North America, and, and we could say particularly south of the border, the church has become somewhere where, strangely, the leader of a church can become a celebrity. When, when we immigrated from Ireland to, to Canada, there was also the possibility that we would go to the States. And I took my undergraduate education in the States. And the, the church that I knew and that some of us remember, um, that was the evangelical church in the United States, was quite different from today. There were no celebrity pastors. There were good pastors. Um, there were good preachers. But there weren't any celebrity pastors, and yet apparently the God that we are naming is a God who celebrates celebrity. If we were honest and would go and check out what the bookstores are full of or what you can download or get as an ebook, apparently the way that we name God is that he's a useful friend. Right? So God is someone who... If you need something really badly, he may be your, your last resort. My sister-in-law, uh, Eunice, um, went to the same college as I did. And Eunice was, she's still a delightful person, but she always had just curious things to say. And she once said this to Annabeth, I have friends I haven't even used yet. And you think, whoa, what does that say? Have we used God yet? Or is God, the way we name God, um, the person that we're calling God, is he someone that is actually a useful friend? Is he a wish granter? Um, again, if we follow the, the trends of uh, famous personalities, teaching and writing, 
um, it, it would certainly seem that the God that we're talking about is someone that if you wish hard enough, you can get what you wish for. Um, you, you can formulize that and say, name it and claim it. Um, you, can, you can go to all kinds of huge churches and say, God, you will hear the, those celebrity leaders saying that God wants you to be happy and you can have whatever you want. You see, if, if we begin to ask the question, well, who are we going to go visit today? Is it, you know, a doctor at a hospital? Is it the principal of a school? Or is it the president? Well, so far, I think in North America, we've come to the point of saying, well, the, this God apparently is someone that cheers on people who are celebrity, that he is a useful friend. He's a wish granter or a, Perhaps even worse, he's a fixer. If you're in so much trouble that you don't know how to get out of it, God can fix that. So you should go and ask him. It's not that there is no truth in any of these. But it is that if we are formulating an image of God, if we're trying to answer the question, um, does God need any introduction? And we say, I think maybe he does. Well, how have we introduced him in recent history? Remember... Explain yourself, Lucy, Desi Arnaz. Um, apparently, he never actually said those words, but he said splain all, all the time. I, th I think maybe we have a God that if we were to name him, we would, might say, well, he's the one who's going to make sense of everything. And in, in the middle of the dilemmas of our lives, that's not a trite hope, uh, because as we are filled with despair over circumstances and situations, it's quite comforting to think that God will someday explain it. Except we go back to the book of Job, and we get the point. God never explains it. He might not ever explain it. But if, if that's what we're saying, we'd like you to in, be introduced to a God. Who, well, that God is someone who will make sense of everything. He will answer all of the whys of your life. And I probably dare not even go farther than just identify this one. He's a politicized God. Now, there's one particular commentator uh, a, a leading spokesperson for the Republicans that has now sort of kind of crossed over because he was so grieved by Trump's antics with the Bible at the church in Washington and basically says, we have, we have made a deal with the devil, a Faustian deal, where we have given our support to Trump in exchange for our... Um, getting the things that we want from him politically. So it ends up that today people are, are hesitant to call themselves evangelical because evangelical is now a political term, not a religious term. And we might have to say, you know, um, grudgingly that yes, we have been naming God in ways that aren't true, that aren't right about him. How should we name God, or how do we name God? Um, just to put some ideas on the slide for you, God is other. That, that's one of the simplest and ac most accurate ways to begin to 
to describe God. He is other. So if, if any of the things we've just talked about, you know, can be um, provided inside creation uh, among hu- the human family, um, God is other than what only a human could do. He's more. Um, as, as gracious as we might try to be, God's more gracious. As loving as we might like to be, God is more loving. He is, um, there are words that we use like imminent, which means he's, he's actually near us somehow, but invisible. You can't see God. Nobody has seen God at any time, but the, the sun has shown him to us. But nobody has ever seen God. He is invisible. He, the Bible tells us, dwells in unapproachable light. So just see how the ways that we have named God could, could be true to these biblical truths about God. We hardly ever want to talk about this, that God is said to be a consuming fire. Um, and we should be careful to say God is love. There are only two things um, that are said to be essentially God. God is love and God is light. It's not that God loves and God enlightens, but we're said that we're, we're told that, that somehow or other the essence of God is love and the essence of God is light. Inapproachable light, a consuming fire, other transcendent. So do we have to be careful to understand who it is that needs to be introduced? And I think the answer has to be yes, because we have traded on a God um, that's not the God either of the Bible or of nature. We have the Bible that we can turn to, and we have nature that we can observe. And those are the two witnesses and then there's the powerful witness of the historic person of Jesus, which, which changes everything up. The last thing that, that, that I would say is that he's Abba. He is love, and when all is said and done, Jesus says, um, you can call him Abba. You can call him Father, which is powerfully true for us. So... Do we have to unlearn some things about who God is? I think we do. Um, and, and it'll be a, a long journey of discovery and a proper job of discovery. One of the things that, that Rollins asserts is that we should always be uh, believing and then doubting. Simply by that, he says that if, if God is um, a being of such complexity that he, he really is God, um, that then as soon as you believe something about him and you tend to reduce it and say, I can write that down, then you have to doubt it and go back and ask again. And one of the greatest failures of the church has been reductionism, which has said, there, we've got it. We've got it figured out. 
those five things, those ten things. He always does this, he never does this. There, it's all done. And Rollins is saying, if, if we are going to be proper followers of this enormous being, the other God, every time we figure something out about him, we need to go back to the drawing board and say, but really, is, is that what he's like, who he is? In what ways is that what he's like and, and who he is? So always learning. And then the whole matter of the introduction to God. It is through him that we both, whether far off or near, now have an introduction, access by one Holy Spirit to the Father so that we are able to approach him. I, I think I've told you many years ago I was trying to go to India and I couldn't get my visa. I, I had applied for my visa and it just was not coming and I was flying out a, a day or so later and I kept on going to the Indian consulate and I would go in and I would take my number off the wall and, and if, if you've ever been to a place like that there are already 200 people in there somehow and they just opened the doors um, and your number is 199 so you sit down and wait and then one whole day went through and they didn't call my number a second day went through and they didn't call my number so I called my friend Bob and said how do I get a visa and he said do you know anyone's name and I said no one is all I, I passed I don't know who he was but I passed by a desk and the name I think it was Malotra was on the desk that's the only name I know he said when you go tomorrow morning just go right up to reception and say you're there to see Mr. Malotra and I said well I'm not he said yes you are he said you have to understand to think Indian like so I said, all right well, I was desperate so when I got there the next morning I went to reception and uh, I said, I'm here to see Mr. Malotra. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I, I, they could throw me in jail for this. I don't know. And um, this person said, just a moment. And Mr. Malotra came out. And he says, yes? I said, um, I really want to go to India, and I need a visa, and I can't get one. And if I don't get one, I won't, won't be able to go. And I just bumbled. He said, what's your name? told him my name. He said, come back at 3 o'clock. I said, oh, great, another runaround. So, and then I thought, okay, come back at 3 o'clock. That probably means with some currency because I, this is not going to happen without a little currency. And I was prepared to do that. My, my friend Bob said, you need to understand that bribes are only when people do what they shouldn't do. Um, it's an incentive when you give somebody money to do what they should do. There you go, wisdom. So I went back at 3 o'clock, had money in my pocket, and uh, he sent out his assistant. And his assistant said, you are Mr. Campbell to see Mr. Malotra? And I said, yes. He said, here you go. And he handed me my passport and my visa. Didn't ask for a penny. And shame on me for thinking that that might have happened. But the whole point of it was I needed to know somebody's name to get what I wanted. And it's a simple illustration of the fact that we were once people who were alienated from the covenant and the promise. So the whole chapter of Ephesians is about Paul saying, remember who you were? You were people who were once enemies of God. You were people who were excluded from the covenant, away from the covenant of, or, or the community of, of Israel. You had no hope 
no God in this world, but now it is through him. And Paul goes on to say what has happened. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's a long, beautiful passage that, that deserves careful reading and study. But it brings me to the whole matter of how it is that God will be introduced through us and why we should go back to church. God's introduction to us, we need to rethink and say, who, who, is, who is God? What, what is, how would we name God in a way that is counter-cultural and, and counter-failure over the recent history of the church in the West? And then how do we get introduced to that God? If, and it becomes a, a, a more desperate question the, the bigger our God gets. So all of the, the caricatures of God by which we have sort of subtly named him, they're cheap. You don't need a God to fix things. You don't need a God, you know, to grant wishes. But if, if there's a God who is such a being that the language of Scripture is all over the map in trying to pinpoint him, and it's, he is away from us, he's other than us, he's unapproachable because he lives in inaccessible light. And he has always been and always will be. He created everything that there is. He had no beginning and no end. When we let those things get into our minds and our hearts and souls, we think to not deal with who this being is would be foolishness. If there is such a being, I need to be introduced to him. And Paul says, yeah, and the short history is you had no way to be introduced to him. You could not get access. You didn't know any name. You didn't know any Mr. Malotra. But you, you knew Jesus. And he was the introduction to the Father, to God. The only way you could get to God, to, to not some lesser God that is the concoction of modern, um, mixed-up religion, but the, the God of the Bible, the God who is, the God that nature speaks of every day when the sun rises and when things grow and beings are born and die, and that God, um, you, you should want to know him. And the only way you can get to know him is through the introduction that comes as the person of Jesus Christ. And then finally... Your job, and that this is why we need to go back to church, not, not just to a church building, but we need to go back to being vitally connected to the body of Christ worldwide because it is the job of the church to introduce God to the world. He, he's not doing it any other way. And, and so the way that Paul characterizes that is in, in a really dynamic and, and in complex way, he says, um, you now are saints, you're of God's household, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. God has started to build something. He started it with apostles and prophets. He built something fixed on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. And in, in building in the day, it's either the cornerstone or the capstone. And either one is the key to the whole rest of the building. And then it says that this building that's being fitted together and that would be by the Holy Spirit, into, is, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The church is not how we will worship when we go back on Sundays. The church is not whether we wear masks or not. The church is not distancing. The church is this holy entity by which God wants to be introduced to the world. Therefore, we will work hard to build the church, to get rid of the naming of God that is shameful, um, to put the past behind us and press forward, and to be sure that we are delighting in the fact that we have been introduced to the introducer, and since then, we have been asked to be willing to introduce that God, the true God, to the world all around us. Do we do it cleverly, concisely, not at all. But when we know that some of the things that we have kind of put out there about God are just nonsense, let's not talk that way. And let's not forgive ourselves for failures um, that should not have happened. Uh, because in the middle of it all, God is building this thing in which he wants to live. There's another profound, not understandable concept. The God who is other, that God is transcendent, all of those things that, that, that we've said. Yeah, and he also lives in the church. Where? Well, he's, he's invisible. You can't see him. Well, um, what, what does he know about that? He knows everything about everything and more. Really? Um, well, why doesn't he do something about the problems of the world? He can do anything. And he is and will. But he will do it on his terms, not yours. And the more we reduce him and um, get control of him, the less desirable he is when he is, as Anselm talks about, really the thing greater than which cannot be conceived. That pushes us beyond every limited way that we would conceive of God and says if, if, if you can conceive of something like that and yet there will be something greater than that that's not God whatever there is greater than which nothing else could be conceived maybe you're in the territory um, so I think it's time for us to get back to church but with a unlearned view of God and a relearned view of God and then with a new appreciation that this matters that we needed an introduction and then with a new mandate that we are called to tell other people about him correctly as correctly as we can and when we learn some new things we need to go back and say we were wrong about this but now we're, we're getting clearer about what we understand and what we believe and we'll be good why don't we pray Father, thank you for the the intricate penship of or penship of Paul as he tried to to 
collect ideas that were very complicated. Thank you, Father, that the Bible itself intrigues us because it doesn't give any simple answers um, about the nature of the person of God. Um, it, it tells us things, each one of which is a wonder, and each one of each one of which draws us out after the longing in our hearts and souls and draws us up to know the being greater than which we could not conceive their being. So please excite us in our hearts about this and excite us um, as we try to, to regroup as the church in, in every expression of the church around this world. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.